Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18, and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. Hello and welcome to Becoming Parents. I'm your host, Jen Taylor. Today, I am really excited because today's guest is actually my daughter, Olivia. Hi. And you have your seven month old behind you. And because this is about being parents, we're okay with that. Okay. When the nap, when the nap doesn't happen, podcast episode every day. <laughs> Truth. You are my second daughter. People are always like, how many, where are you in line? I don't even know. You were the second one born. And you are biologically my daughter. Yes. You were my first home birth. Ta-da. And you have two of your own kids. So today we're going to talk about your first delivery. Yeah. That one was really fun. <laughs> I was lucky because best, best ever. I, I was really lucky because we planned on me flying there to help. And when you're like across country, you, I don't know if anybody else knows this, but like, you can't plan when your baby's born, you were actually late. Yeah. So I went in to be monitored three days after his due date. Um, he hadn't been moving that day and you know, you're massively pregnant and you're very over it. And so he stopped moving and it's my first baby. I don't know what's going on. Um, I just know they say if movements stop for so long, come in. And I had tried calling the delivery room, like office people um, about it, but nobody was answering. So we loaded up the car with all of our stuff. We're like, we have no idea if we're going to stay or if we're leaving or what's going on. So we just prepared for us staying and we get there and I told, got told that the number I had called was wrong and I needed to try calling a different number. And I was like, I'm here though. No, I had to call, call this number. So I called and I was like, hey, here's what's going on. It's now like four in the afternoon. I haven't felt the baby move since like seven this morning when he had hiccups and that's it. And they're like, oh yeah, it's a long, long period of time to not have movement. So I get brought back and um as soon as I get back in the room he starts to move I'm like of course right like that's how it happens and they have me separate from my husband he has to stay in the waiting room I have to go back because they have to you know ask like are you safe oh yeah yeah right right okay so that gets asked and I'm like hey you know like the baby started moving so I actually think we're okay they're like well we're gonna monitor you for for a little bit anyway so I got monitored for an hour they let my husband you know come back and sit there with me so we get monitored and there's like yeah everything like baby's fine you're fine there's nothing to be concerned about but you're three days overdue and we have a bed available do you want to be induced and I was like I want this baby out of me so yeah let's get induced <laughs> and I was like I'm done I'm done being pregnant like let's and I didn't know that we were having a boy that's right. You didn't find right. out the gender. We didn't find out the gender. So I was like, I want to meet who 
this little person is, I want to know, I want to know. And can, I'm done. Can I ask you a question also? Yeah. Can I jump in? Do you feel, so this is your first time now. I had home births, which you were there for. I don't know if you remember any of that, but like you had been around delivery and it was an open conversation and I worked with moms and you were a nanny. So you actually at this point had probably more exposure to how normal birth was and information than most women going into their first labor. And yet, did you still feel unprepared? Yes and no. Okay. I knew kind of the gist of what to expect. I knew what I wanted. I had been around babies and birth in those conversations. I did the Bradley method classes. That's right. I wanted to talk about that. Okay. For this delivery. Um, so I had, I felt like I was as prepared as I could be. What I wasn't prepared for was the lack of respect for me as a birthing woman by the hospital staff. And yay. I mean, not yay to you, but yay that you're bringing this up and you're saying that way, saying it that way. Okay. So dive back in. You're both there. You decide to get induced. Were you concerned? I mean, you did Bradley and you're very educated. Were you concerned about induction? A little bit, yes. But I think at that time, I was just so done. Yeah. <laughs> that I wasn't thinking like, this is going to lead to it going badly. Right. And the nurse that I had when we went back, so we got brought back and it was right around shift change. So like we had somebody come in and then like the next person that came in was our overnight nurse. And she was amazing. Oh, she was fantastic. She went over the birth plan, was like, I've had six babies. And we were like, you don't look old enough to have had six babies with the oldest being like 16. Like, no, but okay. And she was amazing. So she went over our birth plan, was like, yep. And she's like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. You don't want Pitocin. You don't want an epidural. Like you want to do it as natural as you can. So this is the route we're going to take you on. So I got the fully bulb, which sits on your diaphragm. So like your diaphragm is right here and they fill it with um, like saline. And so it mimics the pressure of the baby's head on your diaphragm to help you dilate. So that got put in around seven at night. And I didn't start like having contractions or anything until almost 11. So, you know, contracting starts. And at that point I'm like, I can't sleep anymore. So it doesn't fall out. Most of the time it falls out, but she had to like kind of wiggle it out. It got stuck and I was seven hey. centimeters dilated. Right. So I went in and I was about two centimeters and then I was at seven. Right. I'm having contractions and she's like, okay, you're doing great. Like you're handling contractions like a champ. Um, we're going to try and get you, you know, through, through this. So I'm stuck at a seven shift change happens again. She's like, I'm going to be so mad if this baby is born. 
in the next hour and I like just miss it and I didn't know that she would be the only person that actually cared about me in this delivery or I would have done things a little bit differently probably I don't know so shift change happens our new nurse comes in and she has an awful attitude like does not want to be there does not want to be helping um just and I didn't know that I could have asked for a different nurse I didn't know that I could ask for someone else I couldn't have been like hey you are not the vibe for this delivery room like you we need someone else or you need to total 180 shift your attitude and I wish I had known that beforehand because I would have asked for a different nurse. She was awful. Um, now, my overnight nurse, we had talked about how breaking the water can help move things along fast, like move things along if we like get to a standstill. So the Foley bulb got taken out at about 2 a.m., I think. And I was at seven centimeters and I stayed at seven centimeters. Um, so my new nurse just doesn't have a great attitude. It's like, yeah, I'm here kind of situation. And then we have a resident who's like the the lead doctor with like her supervisor kind of there also. And she's like a young unmarried resident. She's very polite but not like totally what I wanted. Um, and then the head OB was a man, which on its own isn't bad, but nobody on my delivery team had given birth. Okay. That makes a difference because nobody else in that room knew what I, like knew what I was going through. Sure, they're all like labor and delivery doctors and nurses. So they know, but they don't know what I'm physically going through. They don't know like the pain or the contractions or transition or anything like that. Um, but they come in and they break my water at about seven in the morning. And that made a huge difference in how the contractions felt. They were not comfortable, but they were manageable. Like I was getting through them fine, but then they break your water and there's no more cushion. Yeah. So it's like you, you're at like a four with these contractions and then you're at like a nine with these yeah. contractions. Like it, it's a huge difference. Not saying that the contractions were comfortably sitting at a four, but like there was just a big jump in how the contractions felt and how I could manage them. And then um, it gets to be about 10. So my water has been broken for about three hours and they come in and they're just like, look, you've been out of seven, your failure to progress. You've been at a seven for this many hours and your water has been broken. Baby's head is cocked weird. 
if you don't progress in the next hour, you're looking at a C-section. So you should get an epidural. I know you don't want an epidural, but you should get an epidural because you're probably going to need a C-section. Which is the most terrifying thing you can hear as a woman in labor. You're, it just makes you feel awful. Like my body isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And then I have my husband who hears C-section and while he's a great support, he starts thinking about, you know, me having a C-section and everything going wrong right? and him being left with a baby and no wife, you know, like right. he starts thinking that because that's, you know, the logical way your brain works. Well, you've and also been there for like over, you've been in labor for 15 hours at this point, you've already you know, they've already started to do things to help. It's not like, you know, you're also tired and you're scared and you worry about your baby. Like there's all this stuff going on, right? Yeah. So all of these things, and he keeps saying those words, epidural and C-section, like on repeat, you need an epidural because of a C-section, the chance of a C-section. You don't want a C-section but you might get a C-section. So get an epidural. While I'm having these awful contractions because we broke my water. And finally I say, okay. I'm like, fine. And they're like, okay, we'll get you an epidural. By the time the anesthesiologist comes in, I have transitioned. <laughs> I sit up and I'm like, you know, those pressures kind of relieved. I feel like I've peed, but really that it's not what happened. Instead, I've just swapped the position of the baby. I've hit transition, past transition. I am feeling like I'm pushing. And I say, I feel push. I need to push. And my nurse is like, don't push as they're prepping my back for this epidural that I don't actually want, but because I feel like, because I said, sure, I feel like I have to continue with it. And I'm pushing. Right. And I'm like, I need to push. And my husband is like, then push. I'm like, they told me not to push. But when you're pushing, you can't stop pushing. You're, you're pushing out a baby now. And I'm sitting up. And in a position which is helping that, you know, pushing thing. And my back gets poked three times because each time he starts, I'm like bearing down. I'm pushing a baby out. And everybody's like, don't push. And then I get the epidural. I lay down, have another contraction, and they see my baby's head. Kids call me Nani. Hello, beautiful. Hi. He's very tired. Yes. Yes. So they see the head. And then, you know, all the people come into the room. And because I have been given an epidural, I have to stay on my back. 
which is the one way I did not want to deliver. And I'm feeling everything. The epidural hasn't had time to kick in. Right. And I ask if I can squat. I've been pushing for a little bit. It's not working. It's hurting. I'm not comfortable. It's not how I want to deliver. So I ask if I can squat. And the head OB, this, this man says, no, you're doing great. We don't know how much strength you have in your legs. You're doing fine like this. Okay. And so I keep pushing and I push in the worst way. I'm doing coached pushing. They're saying, tuck your chin to your chest arch your back, hold your breath for 10 seconds and push as hard as you can. Not how you should push. And then you take a breath and you have to do it again. And in between, I'm like, can I breathe ever? Is it just <gasps> like, where, where's the breathing in that? Right. And so I'm like, I need to pause for a second. I need to take a breath. I need to just stop. And 20 minutes of pushing later, I have a baby on my chest <laughs> and I'm insanely relieved that it's over. And then we find out that we had a boy. Like it took us a minute because we were like, just like hold the kid up, say what it is, put the, put it on my chest, like take two seconds. Yeah. And we're like, what do we have? <laughs> and then, you know, we find out it's a boy and we're super happy that we have a little guy. Um, after my delivery, hey. yeah, you have thoughts on this? This isn't even your story. This isn't your story there, little one. Brothers, your story was way better. <laughs> so you're excited. You have him. You get through it. It's done. And then? And then because of the way I... Do you need some milk? Let's try. Because of the way I was told to push, I had... This one? No, okay. No. A tension-based headache. And so for the first week, I couldn't do anything. I had the worst head and neck pain that went like from like the base of my neck, like from like right in here up through my forehead. It was just it was awful and I was so uncomfortable and they would come in when I was in the postpartum room they would come in and ask how I was doing and how my pain was and I was like I'm at a nine but it's in my head I cannot tell you what anything else feels like I cannot feel anything from like delivery I can't tell you what my uterus feels like when you palpate my abdomen. I can't tell you what it feels like 
in, you know, the birthing canal or any of that. I, I can't feel anything else but this. And nobody could do anything to help. There was like, here's some Advil. And this was from the position that you pushed in. This is from how I was told to push. And we had someone come to take pictures. And she has a picture of me pushing. It's awful. And I see it and it makes me so mad. Right. To see this. I'm so glad she got it. But it just irks me. Yeah. You want to chew on that? I know anybody who's had a baby, if they saw that picture, you would, it would, it, you would feel where it would hurt just by looking at this picture. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me you, even with all the education, with the Bradley classes, with all of that, there's still a couple times in this story where you didn't stand up for yourself. And I want to talk about like real, just briefly, like why don't we stand up for ourselves in these situations? I think at least for me, there were a couple things like one, I don't love confrontation. And I don't love bringing things up that can cause confrontation. And I don't like not being, I mean, I don't like being yelled at, but I don't like when people are like, no, you're wrong. Right. When I feel differently. Right. And then there's the part where it's like, well, they're the doctor. They're the professional. They should know. She's she's telling it like it is baby. Right. And you don't, it's really hard to stand up to that authority. It's really hard to stand up to that authority, especially when you're not totally sure what you're doing. Right. Like it was my first baby. I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of things. I didn't know that I could have asked for a different nurse during the day. Um, or realized that I could have said no to the epidural when he was in the room. And I didn't know what transition felt like. Or that I could have been like, I feel push. Why don't you check me and see if I can push? I think the other thing in this situation is that you shouldn't necessarily be the one that has to like you're in, you're a laboring woman you shouldn't be the one that has to think about this stuff process it and then you know like you you wrote a birth plan so you wouldn't have to you could do your thing and not worry about it you have a husband there so he's your voice and it's interesting in so many situations where even the husband's like maybe you should do what they're saying like we talked about this for months you know and so i'm not speaking ill of your husband i happen to love him um just husbands in general in that situation you you have the conversation you write it all out you think they're going to stick up for you and then they don't they buckle the thing and I talked to my husband about it after me. Like, it's so hard to see someone you love so much in that much pain. Mm-hmm. And to think coherently in that regard. 
which totally makes sense. Right. And when I'm like having contractions and they're saying epidural and C-section and and he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Right. Like you have any clue what's going on in that situation. I don't know what I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what's going on. So that experience allowed you to realize how how much we don't speak up and how much can go sideways just because you're in the room and in the situation and that your brain as the laboring woman shouldn't be the one thinking about what you want at that point. Um, what were some, I mean, other than the fact that you had a son who's now two, what were the things that made, was there anything that made a positive difference in the labor or was it just kind of a string of one thing led to another thing and you were faced with decisions and were there any, other than your first nurse, were there really good things about it? After they broke my water. No. Right. After that, and just kind of being at a standstill, they broke my water at seven and they came in after 10. So there was a little chunk of time where I wasn't really bothered. And I was, you know, trying to labor how I wanted to labor. And they come in saying your failure to progress. We're looking at a C-section if nothing changes in the next hour. And you get terrified. And I they broke my water. And I guess the only good thing after that was that they left me alone for a couple hours. Cause once it hit 10, I just felt bullied. Right. I, you know what, that is a great word to use because it's like, you're being inconvenient by not having this baby the way they want you to. And that makes me so furious. I want to shift because this was not a good birth experience you knew at the moment that you knew going through it it was not a good birth experience as soon as you get past it and you had to wait like a week or so to get past it because you were in so much pain from your head and your you went to a chiropractor you did heat you did ice you did massage yeah so i felt you flew in while we were still in the hospital yeah right the day that he was born the next day the next day the night before we were going to be released right so we were getting released the day after and you flew in and i originally had totally planned on him picking you up and bringing you to the hospital and you seeing us and and when he because i was in so much pain i was like no Right. He dropped me off at the house and then came back and you asked me about that later. And I was like, it wasn't that I didn't want you to come to the hospital. It's that I didn't want him to have to leave again. Because mm-hmm. after he left, I had to stand up to change a diaper and like do that on my own. And I was in tears. Right. It was awful. And I was like, he, no. And you being there, <laughs> the drive home from the hospital was awful. 
it hurt so bad. I was so uncomfortable. And seeing you in the kitchen when I got back to the house was the most relieving thing. Oh. Like, I was so happy to have my mom. And when I was in labor, when I was feeling bullied, when I was having that really hard time, all I wanted was my mom. But by that point, my voice had already kind of been taken away. So I didn't feel like verbalizing that I wanted you and that I wanted to call you would make a difference. So I didn't even tell Gazen that I wanted to call you. But I feel like if I had called you, if we had just been on the phone or if we had FaceTimed or something, it would have gone better. You would have been like, hey, hun, this is transition. You're almost there. <laughs> like, you're, you've got this. You don't need the epidural. You don't want the epidural. Right. You can do this. Mm-hmm. It would have been fine. But I didn't because I felt like I had already lost that chance Mm -hmm. to have the complete delivery that I wanted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do know. I want to end by saying, or by you saying, and then what happened? Because you obviously you've had a second baby. We'll talk about that on another podcast episode, but he was born and this is my perception you were angry because you knew it could have been different and then that made you think about every other woman who has felt that way or might feel that way in the future and what did you decide to do i i decided to become that voice Mm -hmm. for other women by becoming a doula because one thing that I wish that I had had was someone else there to be that voice for me I wanted someone else who wasn't as emotionally attached to me and the baby like my husband was right to be there to tell me you can do this right this is what's going on you don't need that don't let them talk to you that way. I wanted someone else there to do that for me. So I decided to become that for other women. Because no one, no one should feel like that when they're in the most vulnerable state of their life. And so I became a doula. Yay, I'm so proud of you. Um. And I love that. I, and you you are vulnerable. And it's a different vulnerability because you're not just concerned about yourself. It's not like an accident where it's, you know, you and you're hurt and you're not sure. And what should I do? And it's like there's another life involved here. And it makes yeah. you vulnerable in a terrified way. Like any decision you could do is going to mess things up for this child, too. Yeah. So I'm so proud of you. I am so glad that I decided to do it. And 
my my slogan my motto is helping women feel seen heard and not forgotten because that's not I didn't feel seen or heard I felt like an inconvenience I felt looked over and no one should feel like that so I used this awful experience to turn it around and help other women not have that I love it. All your information is in the description. People can find you, even though you are um, in the process right now of moving to Arizona, you can still do things virtually with breastfeeding support, prenatal, postnatal, um, virtually at the birth, you've done that too, because, you know, in the pandemic, we had to really change things anyway. And so you can help women anywhere so all of your information on your website and Liv thank you so much for sharing your story yeah I think good birth stories are nice to hear but the hard ones more people relate to and might not realize that they also could have had a voice in their delivery more than they did right I'm glad that you're that voice thank you <laughs>